The Juice on the Cues podcast on the Big Heads Media Network is presented by MyBookie.ag. At MyBookie.ag, choose from thousands of bets from college football to the NFL. And if you sign up now, you'll get a dollar for dollar match all the way up to $1,000. Use promo code Juice on Cues. That's promo code Juice on Cues and double your first deposit now. It's a no brainer. Your winning season begins today only at MyBookie.ag. It is SNY.TV's The Juice on the Cuse podcast, covering Syracuse basketball, lacrosse, and football. Today on The Juice on the Cuse podcast on SNY.TV, we'll be previewing the upcoming Syracuse basketball season and talking about a close loss against Clemson football. I'm Wes Chang, and I'll be joined later by Brad Bierman, and our guest is Syracuse.com's Mike Waters. Mike, how are you today? I'm doing great, Wes. How are you doing? Mike, I'm doing well, especially now that we're chatting on the podcast, and I want to get you started on this one. For the Syracuse basketball team, the biggest roster change in the offseason was the loss of Elijah Hughes and the addition of Alan Griffin, who is immediately eligible. Is Alan Griffin a guy that can replace the production that Syracuse loses with Hughes jumping to the NBA? I think Alan Griffin can come in and help make up for the loss of Elijah Hughes. I I want to stop short of saying that he's going to make up for all of Elijah's production because you have to remember, Elijah averaged 19 points a game. Uh, that, that, that's, a, that's a lot of scoring uh, for a Syracuse player. You know, Jim Beheim usually likes balance, uh, likes to have two or three scoring options, if not more. And you know, while he, you might have a go-to guy, they don't always average 19, 20 points a game in the Syracuse system. So that'll be difficult. But I, I'm a big believer in Alan, in Alan Griffin. I think if you, if you look superficially at his numbers last year at Illinois – are about 8.9 points per game and four and a half rebounds, you're like, what are Wes and Mike even talking about in terms of this guy you know, making up for Elijah Hughes? But Alan Griffin put up those numbers in just 18 minutes a game. And, you know, he was playing behind some really good players. And, you know, if you increase his minutes, you don't even have to double them because that's 36 minutes a game. That's a lot. Um but, you know, if he just gets increased playing time up to even between 25 and 30 minutes a game, uh, you've got a guy who's going to give you double-figure scoring and at least five rebounds a game. And that's what Elijah put up was the five rebounds a game. And really when I first heard about Alan Griffin and they thought they were going to slot him in at the small forward spot, and I looked at it 6'5", and I watched some film of him a little bit, and I'm like, well, he's kind of a, a little bit more of a slender guy. You know, like he's not as you know, Elijah had, you know, big shoulders and broad shoulders and six foot six had a little bit more size to him than Griffin does. But man, four and a half rebounds a game in 18 minutes in the big 10 is, is doing good work. And we talk to more people about him and they, they talk about his motor and his intensity and he likes to go in there, especially on the offensive end and, and hit the boards. So I, I think he can give some, you know, Syracuse some things maybe that Elijah Hughes didn't. Uh, the other thing we'll have to look at for Alan Griffin is this is three-point shooting. He made 41% of his threes last year. Elijah Hughes only made 34%. Now, the, the thing is, though, is will Alan Griffin continue to shoot that high of a percentage when if he takes on a bigger role here at Syracuse and the defenses will be playing him more, whereas last year at Illinois when he came in, he was kind of like their third option a lot of times and taking you know higher percentage threes. So. I don't know. I, I, I think 
you're looking at a guy who will step in there and, and play a lot at the small forward spot and, and give Syracuse a good option and, and help make up for Elijah's loss, even if he doesn't um, do exactly the same things the same way that Elijah did. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, Mike. And I know you get this question a lot, and I myself ask you this question once a year on this podcast, but who starts? You have two guys that can potentially start at Hughes' old position, and they're two very different types of players. You have Quincy Guerrier, powerfully built 6'7", 220-pound guy, and then you have Griffin, who you just mentioned is a little bit more slender. Who do you see Jim Beheim starting between those two options, or is there a third option that I'm not even thinking about right now? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll wager a guess, and it's only a guess, uh, because because of uh, the pandemic, we, we haven't been allowed to even go up to the Mellow Center and watch any practice. Um, but I'm thinking the guy's Alan Griffin, at least to begin the year. I think he's the starter. I think he transferred from Illinois for a reason, which was to get more playing time and to start at a place like Syracuse. Um, Quincy, I, I, I think Quincy fills that same six-man role that he sort of had last year, only I expect him – to do more within that role and maybe play a few more minutes a game than he did. But, you know, we found out after the season that he'd been playing through uh, a real debilitating injury, really, you know, torn core muscles, a torn groin. Uh, it required surgery in the off season. And to think that as a freshman, you know, Quincy was giving you about seven points and five rebounds a game off the bench in, in, a, in limited time with an injury. <laughs> Um, is pretty amazing. And, you know, the fact that, you know, he wasn't hitting any threes at all last year, but in practice we could watch him shoot, and, and his form looked good. There was no reason why he should only be making one out of every eight threes, um, shooting 12.5% from outside the line. He, he's better than that. Now, I don't know that he's Buddy Beheim or, or, or Joe Girard, but he's better than 12%. So I just – I think you see Quincy doing a whole lot more and playing a whole lot better in the six-man role um, and Alan Griffin starting. And, and, and when you mentioned Quincy, you mentioned his size and his rebounding ability. You know, rebounding was a problem last year at times. Uh, I think Quincy is one of the answers to that problem. And I think there's a few others as well. I, you know, we'll see if Alan Griffin can rebound. Um, you know, better than Elijah did. I think Buddy Beheim has to rebound better from the guard spot. I mean, to play as many minutes a game as Buddy did and, and average a little less than two rebounds a game, I don't think that works. So he's got to get better, and I think Baram Sidibe uh, will rebound better for them. So we'll see. But that, that's a problem area, and I've kind of gotten a little off track for you. So I'll give it back to you, and you get me back on track. <laughs> It's always a pleasure to get off track with you, Mike. Do not worry about that. Uh, and you touched on this in your first answer, but we're playing through a pandemic right now. You've seen some cancellations in football. They're still trucking ahead. How do you see this playing out for the basketball season? Oh, man, I, it's, it's hard to predict. Uh, the one thing I think we can probably safely guess that we're going to have cancellations. And the cancellations are going to have a, a bigger impact because – you have a smaller roster. So if you have even a few players test positive, teams are going to have to shut down. You can't just, you know, say, okay, well, we have a position group here that we have a problem with. And, you know, five players in football aren't going to play today. But guess what? We're going to play a game. Um, if you have two or three basketball players, because of contact tracing and close contact, you're probably going to have other guys who aren't eligible, you know, who shouldn't be playing either. 
So if you have a couple guys that are positive and a few other people in quarantine, you're not going to have a, a roster to play. Um, and unlike football, which plays one game a week, you know, basketball plays two or three. So you're not going to lose one game. You could lose two or three in, in a short amount of time, and that's going to have a big impact on schedules. And, and then what do the other teams do that were supposed to play a team that, that has a couple positive tests? Uh, do you reconfigure a schedule on the fly? Do you have backup games just in case? Um, you know, everyone's going to be watching that number that the NCAA's put out there of 15 games required in order to be eligible for the tournament. You know, Syracuse is going to go into the season thinking they're going to play about 27 games, probably plus the ACC tournament. Um, you know, what happens though for an Ivy League team? You know, are, are they going to get, you know, a special dispensation from the rule in case they fall under 15? Because we know the Ivy doesn't plan on playing uh, any more than a conference schedule. If that, I mean, the league's chancellors and presidents haven't even come out and said if they are in fact playing this year. So, you know, I, I'm just not sure, Wes. It's, uh, you know, you're going to travel with these guys. You know, I was on a, a, a conference call last week with some experts in the field, uh, you know, coaches you know, from the NABC, uh, doc doctors that are consulting with leagues like the SEC, and they're talking about a whole wide range of protocol, like players on the road should be in single hotel rooms instead of doubling up like you usually do on the road. Um, do you have to maybe get a larger plane for your charters? Do you not want guys sitting side by side? Uh, do you, you know, and same thing with buses. Uh, are teams that usually would take one bus from Albany to Buffalo, do you take two buses to spread people out? Uh, do you not stay in cities? You know, it, it, one coach even said to me, you know, normally they, you know, eating team meals. Uh, sometimes they eat after the game right there at the arena, you know, or they stop somewhere on the way to the airport. They're, they're rethinking all of that. Like maybe they don't do the, the box meals in the locker room. Um, you know, some schools really should look at their visiting locker rooms. Visiting locker rooms in some places, West are notoriously cramped really inadequate um sometimes you th i think they, it's done so on purpose uh so that the visiting teams have a hard time of it but do you do you need to give visiting teams now a bigger space for the locker rooms because we're all talking about social distancing and everything so you know and the carrier dome is one of those places i don't know if you've ever been into the visitors locker room there it's it it, it probably makes the locker rooms at liverpool high school look huge it's, it's that cramp. So, but this, these are the conversations that are being have that are being had now. That you know, I think a lot of people aren't necessarily thinking about. But it's the day to day stuff, the how do you travel the game stuff um, that that they're worried about. So, you know, I got my fingers crossed that we can get through some semblance of a season because the goal for everybody in college basketball, especially NCAA and all the conferences, they got to have a, a tournament. Um, that's where they make their money. Uh, they can't afford to have a second year in a row where we don't have March Madness. Mike, assuming that we can get to the NCAA tournament, does Syracuse seem like an NCAA tournament team to you, or are they back to being on the bubble? I, I think they look like an NCAA tournament team. I really do. And, again, this is being said without having seen them practice uh, and without you know, obviously seeing any other teams play. And, and we're going we're gonna to make all these predictions, too, without having any exhibition games and night scrimmages. Uh, so, 
but I, I like the experience. I like the addition of Alan Griffin. I like the idea that guys get better. Uh, you know, you look back at the last 10 games of last season and you look at Barama City Bay's improved play in those games where he was just a rebounding machine, playing well and playing without getting into foul trouble. And if he comes back and has a season anywhere close to what he was doing there in the last third of the season, um, Syracuse is looking better than anybody nationally is giving them credit for. Other than maybe, and, and hang on to your hats here, Joe Lunardi, <laughs> the ESPN <laughs> bracketologist. And I know a lot of Syracuse fans have issues with him because a lot of times he doesn't have them in the tournament. Last I checked, he had him as like an eight or a nine seed. Now, it was a brutal eight, nine seed because the one seed in the bracket was like Gonzaga. But even still, you know, I know a lot of people, you know, I look at some other rankings and preseason top 40s and Syracuse isn't in there and I – I looked through, a, a, you know, one one preseason magazine that was out, and like, and they got Syracuse way down, and I just don't see it. I don't, I don't, I, I think they're better than people are giving them credit for. And the, the one issue will be is, of course, the ACC is really stinking good again. Virginia's going to be good. Duke's going to be good. Florida State's going to be good. Carolina's hoping to bounce back with a few guys that are returning, plus a great recruiting class. Louisville is getting a lot of love. So, you know, can Syracuse elevate itself where they're not in the middle of that jumble, in the middle of the standings? they got to elevate themselves out of that and get to like four, five, six in the conference. And if they do that, they'll be, they'll be in fine shape heading into the tournament. And Mike, we'll get you out of here on this one. A lot of speculation around Dior Johnson. He left Oak Hill Academy recently and hasn't signed on with another high school yet. You wrote about this last week where the Syracuse coaching staff is concerned about his academic eligibility. Does Dior ever step on the Syracuse campus? It's up to Dior. Uh, people have asked me too about him, like, are, are the coaches going to you know, cut ties or walk away? They're not, they're not cutting ties with him or walking away. They're, they're trying their best to to keep those ties strong and, and you know they're hoping to help him get into a high school situation where he can get going here on his junior year and, and get on track academically I mean no one's worried about this kid's basketball playing ability but um, you know obviously at this point it's late October and he's not in school and, and that is an issue at some point it becomes a real problem um, you know it could become a problem for him on down the line because let's say worst case scenario at the end of his senior year of high school, he's not eligible. And people are going to say, oh, well, the G League's handing out money now. He can get half a million dollars a year for one year in the G League. He's probably going to go there anyway. Well, G League might be willing to give some guys that uh, big money, but they're doing that because they, they need the, those, that kid's making a decision between college and G League. So they got to give him money. If Dior doesn't get eligible, he loses business leverage. And I know this is really kind of unseemly to say when you're talking about a kid who's a junior in high school, but we're all, you know, we're all aware of his potential future. And if he's not academically eligible, he loses leverage. You really think the G League's going to give out their top dollar to him when they know they're not competing against Syracuse or Kentucky or Duke or, you know, whoever? No. So, you know, I just, you know, I don't know. I haven't been able to reach the kid in three weeks myself. I know the coaches are struggling, and they, they're trying to maintain, 
you know, lines of communication with him, but he's way out in California, and because of the pandemic, you can't go see him. You know, they couldn't go see him down in Oak Hill, maybe to convince him to stay there. So I, I think the pandemic is another factor in this whole thing for for him, and I, I think you're going to see kids all around the country that are going to be hurting over this. They're, they're, they're wishing that they could be seen by colleges. They're wishing that they, you know, college coaches could come see them. Uh, you know, kids are making decisions on college without ever seeing a college campus, which is ridiculous. You know, you would want to tell them, listen, have a little patience. You'll be okay. You know, let's let's steer through this. But as far as Dior goes, um, I don't know if patience is the right word now because, uh, you know, he's got to get going. He's got to find himself a place and, and get himself on track. Mike, thanks so much for coming back on the program again. Mike Waters from Syracuse.com, always bringing amazing insight. Mike, appreciate your time as always. Stay safe, and we'll speak with you soon. Wes, it's always great to talk to you. Thanks for having me on the pod. Always great speaking with Mike, and I'm now joined over the phone by the Juice Online Editor-in-Chief and my very good friend, Brad Beeran. Brad, how are you today? I am doing well, Wes. Thank you. Brad, Syracuse hung in there with Clemson, but ultimately lost 47-21. They did lose, but they played a lot better than they played at Liberty a week ago. What did you think? I certainly would have to agree with you, Wes. The the team played a much more spirited game against top-ranked Clemson than they had against Liberty in the previous game. And I think that's a, a credit to the, the coaching staff and, and, and Dino Babers to tell the team all week that, you know, we've got to play this game. We're going to get on a plane. We're going to uh, arrive at a hotel in South Carolina. And the morning of the game, we're going to have a team meal. And then we're going to take a bus to the stadium, as we do normally for a game, get ready to play football. And you really have to tip your hat to the the players coming out. I I think there's always a challenge when you go up as a heavy underdog against the number one ranked team. I think that can bring out at times, you know, the, the best of a team and, and playing a spirited game. And I f- certainly think that was evident. And it got to the third quarter, Wes, and for Orange fans, you know, kind of hitting their fist on the on the sofa or couch or chair because it was a ball game and Syracuse was in this ball game. And if a couple plays went here or there and, you know, vice versa, you know, it might have been a much closer game into the fourth quarter, reminiscent of when Syracuse played down at Clemson a couple of seasons ago. So, a spirited game, but now it's time to build off of that. And I had written, you know, in my prediction that it was important not to have a lot a lot of injuries or missing more players because there's still five games to play in the ACC. Three of those are at home. So there's a lot to build on from the, from the performance at Clemson. And now let's see if the team continues in that fork in the road of a positive direction. Speaking of a positive direction, the future at Syracuse looks bright. They had some underclassmen step up against Clemson. Ed Hendricks getting some playing time. Anthony Queeley with five receptions in the place of the suspended Taj Harris. Sean Tucker outrushing Travis Etienne at the first half. On the defensive side of the ball, Garrett Williams intercepting Trevor Lawrence, taking it back to the house the first time Lawrence has ever thrown a pick six. A lot to like about the underclassmen getting reps, stepping up and making plays. That's really what this season is turning out to be, Wes. Once you lose your top defensive player in Andre Sisco, lose your starting quarterback in Tommy DeVito, the season, and it's been unusual to say the least already, it really shifted at that point to 2021. And the coaching staff has had the opportunity now to get these young players on the field in live action. You just mentioned a handful of them that made stellar contributions against Clemson. 
The other uh, position I thought that stood out was in, late in the game in so-called garbage time is Jacoby and Morgan came in at quarterback for Rex Culpepper, and I was wondering, you know, heading into the game, uh, you know, hoping Culpepper would not get hurt and knocked out early, but as the game uh, point scores dictated in the fourth quarter, Dino Babers was able then to, again, look at the future at that critical position. And I was wondering, would it be Dylan Markowitz or would it be Jacoby and Morgan? And it was Jacoby and Morgan, the freshman out of Massachusetts. So he's going to be a, a, an interesting prospect for, for SU football. And it's also going to be interesting to see how many more games, you know, he plays this year. I mentioned those three home games against teams that, you know, Syracuse feels are their peers. Wake Forest, BC, and NC State. Wake had a very impressive win at home against Virginia Tech. Boston College has looked impressive all season. Uh, NC State faltered against in-state rival North Carolina last week. So the road games at Louisville and Notre Dame are going to be tough, just like it was tough at Clemson. But I'm really going to be interested to see if Rex Culpepper, Jacoby, and Morgan uh, can lead the Syracuse offense in these three final home games and if they can add to that win total in 2020. Brad, we're right at the end of our show. Your closing thoughts. Well, it's about a month away from uh, the reported Syracuse basketball opener against Bryant University on November 27th. Here we sit uh, in late October, Wes, and the feeling is really unsettling how there's been no release of that basketball schedule. I know so much is still up in the air from a logistic and scheduling standpoint in the ACC, but it just really feels weird, right, that here we are just a month away from basketball, and we have no clear idea of what that schedule is going to look like. Now, the NCAA last week did allow for teams to play in uh, multiple multi-team events this year and put some flexibility in the scheduling for that, but very unusual to be this close to basketball season, knowing there's going to be cancellations, probably knowing there's going to be you know, upheaval to the schedule just as there has been for football. And uh, it's just four weeks or so away, and we still don't have an idea of that exact Syracuse schedule. Just an unusual feeling and what, of course, has been an unusual sports year. Brad, my closing thoughts are on Garrett Williams. We talked about Williams' pick six against Clemson, and adding on that, PFF College had an interesting stat on him last week. He's been targeted 30 times by opposing quarterbacks and has allowed zero touchdowns this season. That's tops in the country ahead of guys like Malachi Moore from Alabama, who was second with 28. As I said before, the future is bright for the Syracuse defense, and Williams has a chance to be a true star of it. That's it for us for Brad Bierman. This is Wes Chang reminding you that popcorn is one of the only situations where you can eat the result of an explosion. You've been listening to the Juice on the Cues podcast on SNY.TV, and we'll see you next time. This has been the Juice on the Cues podcast, part of the SNY.TV audio network. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, 
prize picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com slash play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize picks daily fantasy sports made easy.